Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Hoops Adjacent. I'm Waz Bray. David has the week off. Um, I'm sure he's doing something pretty fun or relaxing and or both. But we got a special guest today for the first time, I believe, ever on the Hoops Adjacent podcast. No, 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 no. Second what? time, man. Oh, is this the second time? Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> it's been a year and he's only been on once, Jade. I'm sorry. I, my bad that I don't remember that. <laughs> well, I remember because he complained when he came on for what took him took us so long to get him on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. Well, all right. Our returning guest to the Hoops Adjacent podcast, Amin El Hassan of ESPN, man. What's going on, Amin? Chilling, chilling, man. Just uh, overdosing on basketball. Uh, I saw someone say that this Bucks Magic game, which is happening right now while we're recording, should have been on Instagram Live. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, it, unless you're moved by the basketball abilities of Vucci Main or you know Fournier, I don't know what gets you excited about watching anything about the magic now since Isaac is their one young, exciting player. I guess you could say that about Fultz. He's young and exciting, but yeah, no, miss me. Um, bunch of brick jump shots and Vucci man going to work one-on-one in isolation. That's just, I, I, I'm just not here for that. <laughs> no, not, that doesn't ring your bell? No, 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 not, not for me. And you know what, man, as, as, as an East Coaster, I, I always took it personally when people would talk about how terrible the Eastern Conference is and God, we need to just do a one through 16 and all of that. And, you know, the, the East has been much improved since the days of, you know, 38 win teams or 34 win teams getting into the, to the eighth seed. That all being said, I have no interest in watching the eighth and seventh seeds play this year. It's, it's, I'm just good off of it. No, it's, you know, the, yeah, in the East, no. I mean, we saw Toronto and <laughs> and Brooklyn. Uh, bless their heart. Brooklyn, yeah. I, I, I'm a really big fan of Chris Chiota. Like, I'm rooting for this dude all the way ever since yep. he was part of that G League select team that beat Team USA twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, man, that's all that, like, this ain't no Disney movie. <laughs> just get out of the way. Let's, let's get to the second round in the East. Yeah. Yeah, let's just trim the fat here. But moving on to teams that I think, or a team that I think is going to make some noise, obviously, in the playoffs. I would think if you polled the blue check aristocracy on NBA Twitter, who they had as the favorite to win the championship, they'd probably have like an 80% approval here. And I'm talking about the Los Angeles Clippers. I I greatly enjoyed last night's game. I thought it was cool to watch the Clippers finally go full tilt. The defense was... I, I want to ask, talk to you about that because I wasn't all that impressed. I know the 18-2 run happened to start the game, and it was like, wow, they're speeding Luka up. They have him looking frazzled. But I just don't think this team's defensive identity is as clear as some people would suggest. But I thought the game last night was was pretty fun. And I want to start with Zub and Trez, man. Trez looks fat. He looks overweight. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't, like, you know, and you who could blame him? He hasn't been around. He had a personal tragedy in his family, so he was away from the team to start the bubble. He didn't get to participate in the seeding process, but he looked bad, quite frankly, and Zub looked amazing. Or, or maybe I'm just overrating Zub because I... 
think so little of him. <laughs> no, I, no, I, I think well, when you talk about Trez, it's, it's a similar, similar, although more drastic situation than what Zion went through, right? Because Zion at least went through some part of a little bit, maybe a day or so before he left the, the bubble and then came back uh, for the first seeding game. So you got time to kind of ramp him up, even though he didn't have that much time. But for Trez, man, like he missed the entire, he said he hadn't played basketball pretty much the whole time. Um, And his workouts that he was doing in quarantine was like 30 minutes. It was like, it was like prison. You get 30 minutes of outdoor time. You go with a trainer, you do whatever you can while the trainer socially distances, and then you go back to your room. And so to ask someone to go from that to NBA playoff basketball, is just, I mean, it's 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 a ridiculous feat. Yeah, it is. It is yep. extremely difficult. And so, you know, I, I think part of it is it's going to take some time for these Clippers to gel. What you're seeing when you say what I see doesn't match up with the way people talk, you you're seeing the lack of chemistry. You're seeing a group of people mm-hmm. who have not played together. And for most teams, you can say, oh, yeah, we played together in regular season, but it's been four months. No, they didn't do that in the regular season. They didn't season. even do that in the regular season. <laughs> so this is a very weird scenario where they're, they're starting to get to know one another. You, one would have hoped they could have done that in the seeding games. That wasn't uh, possible. Then the other part of it was, is you, you got to remember, like there is such a thing as having too much talent in the sense right. that Doc Rivers has to make decisions who plays, who doesn't play, who plays for how long, how long do I leave a guy out there, knowing that it's not just the the uh, chemistry situations of the, do these five go together well or do these, are they accomplishing things, but knowing that whoever isn't in the game is feeling some kind of way. Yes. I'm glad, I'm glad you explained what that means because a lot of times people throw it out there but don't give the explainer. It's just the idea that like, and I want to get into what you, what I know how I think they should play their closing five. Um, but I want to get into what you think because I'm very interested in how you feel about it. Like the idea of closing with Lou Williams, period. He's, he's a leader on that team, right? right. Like he is one of the straight up in their locker room. He's, he's one of the guys. He's one of the guys who will, you know, address the media when something maybe isn't going wrong. Or I remember when, you know, my colleague Yovan wrote the crazy article. It was Lou was one of the first people to step up and be like, there's no chemistry issues. We're locked in and all of that. Like he's a leader, but I'm, I actually don't think he is ideal to close out lineups in their, in their closing five. Cause I just think defensively he's a liability and as what he does, what his strengths as far as an on ball guy are, they become muted when he's playing with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and even a Marcus Morris. So, I, you know, I don't know about all of that, but no, but I, I feel like I'm going away from Zubak. I just thought he was running his ass off, actually catching the ball in the pocket. I mean, like, you know, if you watch enough Zubak, you, you just watch him with the stone hands, just dropping passes constantly at point blank range. But he was catching, he was finishing, he was sprinting up and down the court, both offensively and defensively. And he just seemed so much huger than everybody on Dallas. Like his size was giving them so much problems. I was impressed. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's what he he's a you know what they call a serviceable big. Yes, like that's the picture that should be there. Like this is a serviceable <laughs> big Zubac. Like, is he trash? He's not trash. No, right? he's, he's not. A, 
He, he's a good player who knows how to use his size. He's active and he tries hard and he's fairly attentive in terms of where to be, right? But he's not what you're looking for because if he was, then he'd be like, you know, he'd be an all-star, right? <laughs> like, right. You know, I always love when people say, oh, but he doesn't do this, this, and yeah. Like what you just described is like one of the top bigs in the league. Is someone right. who, who does all those things and catches everything around the rim. Like, that's not easy. That's not a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That shouldn't be a given. No, it's right? not. So the reason why he is what he is, which is a service so big, is because, yeah, he does it sometimes, but not quite every single time. And that's, and the good news is that's all they need. Yeah. They don't really need him to be an all-star because of all the other things. In the same way that you say, like, um, you know, Lou Williams, they don't need him in the closing lineup. Why not? Well, because we got all this other actual closing lineup people here, right? <laughs> These actual closers, right? Now, no offense to Lou Williams, but it's just like, if it's an end game situation and I've got a choice between Kwai or Lou, I'm giving it to Kwai, right? That's just, that's just a reality, right? Uh, same thing here. It's like, if it comes down to let's put our most talented five out there, Zubat ain't going to be out there, but you put him out there because there is a size matchup there that you like, or sometimes we've talked about this in the past, Was Sometimes you do it just because you need someone to eat up the middle innings, mm. right? Like we talk about that with, with Golden State in the past. So if the death lineup is so deadly, why does Steve Kerr hold on to it? Why does he not use it that often? And the reason why is you don't want to wear it out. Right. You want to let some other big, like we're going to be a positive anyway. Let some other big guy take the brunt of all this abuse and all that stuff. And then when we need to just like end this thing real quick in the, in the end of the third, beginning of the fourth quarter, whenever that is, we throw out the death lineup and then you get it done. Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to the comma is on the athletic podcast. Network. I turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs. Like the most in his I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than that. David Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing. Him. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then he yes. had their lungs out in front of everybody on TV. Michael was not your friend. So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship monies and can't pay for the charters for the water polo in Iowa. Welcome to Hoop 5, We have ignition. Man, I want to transition to Kawhi here because obviously he's the most important player on the team. Um, you know, some people say he's the best player in the NBA. Last night, I was... I was impressed by his playmaking like he only had I think five or six assists which but for Kawhi for where he's come from in his career as far as a playmaker and finding guys that's astounding to me and he was making the right passes quickly that's what I was impressed by like he 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 was watching the defensive positioning of you know whether it be Dallas's front or back line and he was making those passes right on the dime right away and I'm like man if he's gonna be able to you know draw to and immediately find guys that 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 makes them a lot scarier obviously we know what he can do one-on-one scoring on people which he did last night too he got busy and um Maxi Kleba actually played pretty good freaking defense on him like like it's about as reasonably good as can be asked against Kawhi but he's still because he's Kawhi was able to get off um I want to get your thoughts on what you think Kawhi is going to be doing as far as driving this offense going forward in the playoffs 
Yeah, I think one of the hardest things to do in this game is become a better passer, right? Like, that's it seems like all the guys who are great playmakers and passers, they came to the game with that, right? LeBron yeah. came in the game with a yeah. great passer. Magic mm-hmm. came to the game a great passer. Kobe Luka did. Doncic, Kobe, yeah, like, they all have it. Now, then along the lines, does it lessen? Does it increase? Am I better at scoring? Am I more focused on scoring? Those are all other things that come down the line. But rare do you see a guy like, oh, he's such an amazing scorer. If only he could pass a little bit better. And then him getting better at passing. Uh, And most of that is because when you think about it, it's like, how do you get better at passing? How do you practice passing? I can practice my ball handling. I can practice my shooting, my post moves, my footwork. My Euro step. I can practice all those things. You have to do it in game. <laughs> yeah. I, like, the only way to practice passing is playing against live defense yep. and playing with other people. And we know that pickup ball doesn't usually look like that. It usually looks like a lot of my turn, your turn, oh, and slash, or, like, obvious passes. So, like, the only way I can think about it for Kwai is the man must have consumed a ridiculous amount of film and then, like, like we already look at him like a mini computer on the floor, like calculating the yeah. odds of what do I do this and do that, whatever. So I guess this is just a new program in the software. The <laughs> yeah. idea that, like, okay, based on this defensive package, when I take one dribble this way, these are the three options that will be available. And so now he's expecting it. And now he can make those plays, which, again, it, it speaks to his, his feel and his IQ to be able to literally program himself to find the seams, which is something that, most guys can't do. Yeah, and so, you know, which brings me to the best closing five for this team. And it's related to the question of their defense as well. I think, honestly, the idea of playing Zubatrez as, you know, this idea that I have to, you have to have some big man out there to guard against the paint, I think it's overblown because I don't think neither one of these guys are going to actually deliver that for you if you put them in there. So to me, what they should be doing is leaning into their strengths, which I just think is offensive versatility. And I think they should be closing with Jermichael, with um, Morris Sr., obviously Paul George and Kawhi, and probably Pat Bev. To me, that's their best closing five. That's what I would like to see them do. And just abandon the idea of just like, oh, we're going to be this rugged, you know, we're going to be this paint stopper. No, we're going to spread the hell out of you and inflict pain on any defense. I don't know that there's a defense in the league that could deal with these guys. Makes them ultra switchable. To me, that's their best option to close out because I don't think people are going to be able to stop them on the offensive. And they'll be able to muster enough defense with the collective IQ and talents, right? Like, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard aren't just you know, great defense, like great defensive minds. These dudes are ultra long, quick, rangy, like have incredible instincts. So to me, that's what they should be doing. I'm curious what you think their best five should be when they're closing teams out. Yeah, well, a couple of things. Mark West used to always talk about playing small ball, but playing big. And what he meant by that is like, he was talking about the sons of 0405. He said, we would go, like, we're playing, quote-unquote, small ball. But Joe but Johnson's Amar- at the two. Yeah, Joe Johnson's 6'8 <laughs> at the two, and Sean yeah. Marion. And, and Amari says, like, if, if we're all yeah. oversized for our position, even though we are, quote, perimeter or smaller players, then who cares, right? right. Same thing here. Like, you say, yeah. small ball, but we're going 6'8 Paul George, 6'8 Kawhi Leonard, 6'9 uh, Marcus Morris. 
Like at that point, it's like, and then you say Patrick Beverly. Let's say if he's your point guard. He's a guy that rebounds extremely well. Yep. He plays bigger than his size. Yep. And then whoever you know, if you go Landry Shamit, if you go Jamichael Green, whoever that is, that's still a a bigger guy. Well, now you're doing things that most most teams can't match up with when they go small, and if they go big. You still have an opportunity to match them. The other thing was, I'll never forget this from. Uh, Sloan Conference, I believe the people who did the paper was actually Second Spectrum, but this was before they were a big deal. And they did a lot of research about what are the best rebounding units you can have on the floor, right? Because when we talk about small ball, that's one of our big questions. No one questions their ability to defend and move their feet and contest, but it's like, what if the shot goes up and we grab, you know, the rebound, the offensive rebounds and stuff? That's what we're worried about. And the results of the finding were, the best rebounding teams were teams that had wings who were great rebounders. Because mm. the idea is the more people you have who can grab a defensive rebound, that's way better than having one dominant rebound. Than just having one prime Dwight Howard, say. Uh, exactly. So a great example of this is go back and look at the numbers, I believe, for the Minnesota Timberwolves when Kevin Love was there. And he is unquestionably one of the great rebounders in the game, Right. At that time, maybe 25, 30% of available defensive rebounds are being grabbed by him. But they actually were a poor rebounding team because the idea was the reliance was on him to grab the rebound. If it wasn't him, then forget about it. And there are more extreme examples of this that, since I haven't thought about this in a while, I can't remember off the top of my head, but basically what would happen is you had a great rebounder. When he was off the floor, the team defensive rebound rate went up. And, and, and so because, all those- it, it, because they let go of that over-reliance on, all right, Kevin's going to yeah. get this all the time. And it probably a mentality, you know, evolves of, well, when te- Kevin's not out here, it's all of our jobs. So maybe that's some of it. Maybe some of it is a guy who's really focused on grabbing every defensive rebound as opposed <laughs> to doing all the other stuff. Right. Uh, right. And I'm not saying that's Kevin Love or whoever, but right. I'm just saying. Right. But that, that can sometimes kind- be the case. Absolutely. Why, Hassan Whiteside is the king of this. <laughs> yes, he is. You know, he's. I would say he's very focused on the that part of the game that hurts him is in shot blocking. Yeah, that he is. He doesn't understand that if I'm there on t- on time, or maybe he does understand and he doesn't care. If I'm there on time, <laughs> they don't even get a shot up. Like the the best outcome of a shot blocker isn't a block shot. The best outcome is that the guy says, "Never mind." Right, like yeah. I'm going blah, second thought. Like that's the best defense. Yep. It's the same reason why it was when people say they're the best defensive three point team in the league. Why? Because opponents only shoot thirty one percent against them. Like that's not a great defense. The great defense is when ah, this, this shot they ain't here. Get to Let shoot me, the three. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So there's a lot of that stuff at play. I think when you talk about what's the best closing lineup, to me, it, part of it is situational. Right. You you have your starting lineup that's set. You have your like your first subs and think those rotations that's set. We talk about closing a game. A lot of that who's playing well, a lot of that is what's mm. my need? What are my mm. needs? Because sometimes there'll be gonna be games where the offense is stagnant and you do need Lou Will out there to to and you know what? He bricked those two wide open layups, but they spread Dallas out at when Lou came back into the game into the fourth. Um, they basically played one of these smaller ish type of lineups, and he drove right past his guy, had all the space, and nobody yeah. was there to contest him at the rim. Um, which you know speaks to what you're saying right now. It's impact. He's him being out there impacts the way they they are behaving 
regardless of whether we got the result we wanted. I was talking about this the other day. Uh, I was watching Jazz Nuggets, and there was a play where uh, Jamal Murray came off of a a Jokic screen, and because Rudy Gobert likes to hang back, Jamal Murray's like, oh, wide open, and he hits his three. And then a couple plays down, uh, Jokic has the ball at the top, and Rudy says, I'm going to play up because Jokic out here is a threat either as a scorer or also if he passes or dribble hands off to somebody, I'm so far back, there's no help there. So he plays up. Murray gets it on the wing, drives baseline, gets the, and he misses the layup. I said, but but that's irrelevant. That's great process. The, the relevant is, is, is we did something that made Rudy Gobert, go, Rudy Gobert behave differently. Behave other than the way he wants to behave. And that opened up an offensive opportunity for us that if we hadn't done that, it would have never happened. And sometimes that's that's kind of like what you got to look at. But it's all situational. Yeah. And, you know, we spent a decent amount of time talking about the Clippers because, you know, but Jovan, I was talking to him last week about about the playoffs. And he was like, this team is so theoretical. You know, like who their identity has not been hasn't happened yet right so it's going to be happening real time in the playoffs and that's and you know because they are essentially the favorite to win the championship i'm fascinated to see how they round into what's going to ultimately be you know the toughest out in the playoffs um last but not least for this series of course we got to talk about luca and i'm interested in, in hearing from you and me because you were the first person to tell me um and this might have been maybe six months before the draft before Luca got drafted, I was like, yo, so what's up with this Luca kid? Cause you're one of the people that actually watches EuroLeague in your spare time, right? Like, like not, no, not even nerd. work, not whatever. It's like, no, I actually watch the, um, the, the Spanish league. Like I, I actually know who these cats are. And I was like, so what's up with him? Is the hype real? And you were unequivocally. Yes, this kid is the truth. He is it. And, and you know, that, that fact has borne itself out. Yeah, uh, you know, and I'll t- I've told this story a million times. I'll tell it a million and one. Why not? Maybe someone hasn't heard it yet. But I got a buddy who played uh, for Real Madrid. He was he was a guy who went silent Real Madrid, and I, this was years ago. And I asked him, how how is it? And he said, oh, it's great, man. Like, team is sponsored by Audi, so we get a free Audi, like an A7. <laughs> we went to the game, and we watched, and I met Ronaldo. And, like, it's, like, all, like, how Real Madrid is just so first class as an organization. Right. And everything's great. And then he says, and the best player on the team isn't on the team. And I said, what? He said, best player on the team is this 15-year-old kid, and uh, he's actually on the JV team, and they call him up every once in a while, and he plays garbage time minutes at the end of blowouts. And right now he's better than everybody on the team. And everybody knows all the players, all the coaches. Everybody knows he's he's be- the best player on the team. The only person who doesn't know it is the kid. And that kid was Man. Luka Doncic. And so I'm watching him grow from this to play to EuroLeague MVP. And to me, that was the big kicker. Because I remember watching Rudy Gobert. Uh, Rudy Gobert, excuse me. Um, Ricky, Ricky Rubio. I remember watching Ricky Rubio. I remember watching... Uh, a lot of these other European prospects, Marco Bellinelli, right? And they were good. They were good players. They were nice prospects, right? But they were never, I'm the best player in Europe, mm-hmm. right? Like the closest thing we can get to that is Manu Ginobili. And Manu was a grown man by that time. He came yeah, here. He came, wasn't he like 27? Like 25, 26, something like that. Yeah, he was. So he's. <laughs> Like he's, it's clear. This that dude bald is, spot was already coming yeah, by exactly. the time he came over. Exactly. Exactly. So 
when people compare, and remember, Manu was like the 57th pick or something like that. So when people compare Lucas, like, oh, he's just the names that they would say Darko, Bargnani, Rubio, mm. uh, Chabarkaba, uh, Skidishvili, like, none of these dudes was that guy. Even Porzingis, he wasn't that guy over there. Right, it was okay. Right. He definitely had upside. We looked at it like, ooh, in a couple of years, it's some NBA training, and this guy could be great. This dude at 18, 19 years old was the MVP of the toughest league in Europe, domestic league in Europe, and the MVP of the toughest league outside of the NBA in the EuroLeague. Yeah, wh- without question, we- this is not the Big Sky Conference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, there's, there's no way... Like, the people were trying to tell, oh, but DeAndre Ayton, like, DeAndre Ayton is nowhere near. I said, DeAndre Ayton looks like he's going to be a great prospect. Bagley looks like a great prospect. Um, Trey Young and Jaron Jackson. Like, there's no, I'm not knocking any of these guys. Look like Some of them look like multiple time, maybe perennial all-stars. But this dude over here is different, man. He's different. Yeah. These guys, he's special. Man, in a loss, in a game that he had 11 turnovers, which is bad, against... Look, man, some of the some of the best perimeter players in the world. I was watching Luka Doncic break these guys down one on one in isolation like it was nothing, and that's when I'm just like, look, it's it's a wrap. This kid's gonna be ridiculous, man. Like the team's gonna get better around him. He's gonna be smarter about how and where and when he attacks people. But just watching him drop 42, and it was a hard 42. Don't get it twisted. Like the effort level was was insane to, to to do that. But to be able to achieve that against Kawhi Leonard's and Paul George's and Pat Bev's and just basically like, I'm going to fish fillet all of these cats, um, set a record for first playoff game for points scored. I was blown away, man. It, it was it was a pretty impressive performance in a loss in a game that, you know, it's unfortunate KP got kicked out uh, for Tex. But it, it was kind of crazy to watch last night. Yeah, so... So a couple of things. First of all, with the turnovers, I say this about every player who's a playmaker. LeBron, Harden, Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, all these guys. If I have the ball in my hands that much, I'm going to turn the ball over a lot. My, my turnovers average is going to be high. But the idea is I'm such a gifted playmaker, I'm going to make up for it. So I never, mm-hmm. ever felt. Like when you we're talking about that kind of player, not like a big, not a guy who's a scorer, but a guy who's creates for everybody else. You never worry about the turnovers. He'll figure it out. Specifically, last night turnovers were even higher than normal was because, yes, this is his first time in the rodeo. And for all the accolades I just gave him, it's still a culture shock to play in your first playoff game. And they jumped him. But here's the thing about Luca. He's so smart that after a while, he starts to recognize the patterns. And so now he knows where it's coming from. That's why I said you got to keep switching it up on him because if you give him the same look over and over again, if you do the Patrick Beverly, I'm going to guard you the same way every single time. Six, seven positions in, they're like, okay, this is what he's doing, which means if I do this, he's got got nothing because he's all pot committed uh, to this certain thing. When you go beyond that, though, do you remember Lonzo Ball's first game? I don't. I don't remember. remember. Patrick, 
Patrick, they played the Clippers and Patrick oh. Beverly like decided he was going to make an example and he was all up in them and he flustered them and like Lonzo was kind of like, you know, just kind of lost there, right? They did the same thing to Luca, And he turned it over and he got, you know, he slipped and, you know, maybe tweaked an ankle and all that stuff. But because he's such a son of a bitch, He's like, you know what? Fuck these guys. And like, and basically, instead of just folding up the tent and be like, this is hard. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. Game on. That's who he is. Let's that's go. why, yep. that's why, like, I, I say, like, this dude is, you know, and, um, uh, Mark Jackson said it last night on, or Monday night on the telecast. He said, this guy is the perfect mix of magic and, and bird. He yep. is absolutely that. He's yep. absolutely that. He's got all the. I was actually talking to my dad about it, and I said, you know, all the white guys that came through this league, they said it's going to be the next Larry Bird. Not then one of them. Either A, had the passing ability like no. this guy has and Bird has, and B, none of them were sons of bitches like these guys were. Right. People don't like, like, that's the greatest thing about Larry Bird that I find hilarious that is lost. The, the only like players who played against him seem to remember this. Guy was a son of a bitch, man. He talked so much shit out there. He let you know about it. He did all the things. He did all the things that white people complain about black players that <laughs> All the yes. things. Oh, he's just a showboater and just swat da da da. And like, you know, no. He's gonna tell you, oh, what you I'm a hey, who guarded me? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to dribble this spot, I'm gonna pump fake twice, I'm gonna take the shot, and we're gonna win the game. He gonna give you the play. The play. He gonna tell people, "I'm gonna shoot nothing but left-handed today." Imagine if LeBron said, "I'm gonna shoot nothing but left-handed." Like people would lose their minds about, like, "Oh, this is the problem with the game today," and stuff like that. No, Larry, but that's the mentality Larry, that Luca carries into every situation. Yeah, ultra competitive. He has an actual swagger. Um, I know we use that word too much, but it's true with him. And you know what I like, man? His teammates really believe in him. They're galvanized by, they are moved by his, you know, don't give a fuckness. Like, they love that. I love that his teammates rally around him because, man, as much as his usage is such, and because it has to be, there's nobody else on that team who can dribble a basketball, essentially, outside, I guess, Tim Hardaway Jr., who only dribbles in service of scoring. And so he is tasked with setting everybody up. It's his job. And a lot of times, I mean, and you've somebody who's taught me about this is like, hey, man, that shit could, could breed a lot of resentment really quickly if you're not handling it a certain way. Right. Um, Steve Nash is a perfect example of this. Like, yes, he constantly had the ball, but he had a way of making his teammates feel a part of what it is that he's doing. You see the cutting ability that Chris Stapps now has, which he never had before. I'm sorry. How about, he was not how doing about that Doe? in New York. How about Doe slashing to the front of the rim and, and I mean, getting buckets? You know what I'm saying? Like, these guys are moving without the ball. They're figuring out ways yeah. to get involved with what Luke is doing when he's probing. It's really dope to watch. Um, I think this series is going to be fun. I think they're definitely going to take at least a game off of the Clippers. Um, and just, man, Luca is the, he's the one, man. He just is. Sure, the regular season is fun and all, but only one thing can compare to the excitement of playoffs, and that is DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. Both basketball and hockey have entered their respective playoffs. And DraftKings is putting you in the center of the action with millions in prizes throughout the week. There is no better place to make it rain. Start playing for free with your first deposit today. 
you haven't tried it yet, daily fantasy sports are easy to play. Just draft your players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points based off of your players' performance. There's no better way to put your sports knowledge to the test than to compete for millions of dollars in prizes throughout the week. But if Daily Fantasy isn't for you, DraftKings has launched Best Ball Contest for football season. If you aren't familiar with Best Ball, simply head to the app now and check it out. Download the DraftKings app and use promo code RUN to play free with your first deposit today. Compete for millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs this week. That's promo code RUN, R-U-N, to get a shot at millions of dollars in prizes all week long, only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Was moving on to a series that I, I'm not going to lie because of the injuries and just the general malaise of one of the teams that, that are involved during the bubble. I was kind of putting the series off to the side, but then after game one, I realized this is a really intriguing series is Denver and Utah. And one thing, first thing I want to say is that Rudy Gobert played his ass off on defense. He was damn good against Jokic, who traditionally has been able to just kind of do whatever he wants against Rudy and score. And I think I stole this stat off of Nate Duncan. Um, Jokic only had one paint bucket, one paint bucket the entire game. That's insane. He lives in the paint. He's one of the best post scorers in the NBA, if not the best. I think him and Embiid are essentially the, the list right now. Um, and Rudy was just so stout against him. He scored one bucket in the paint. Um, that was pretty good to see. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think like they, they exploited him. Uh, you know, they exploited Rudy, as I said, his, his reticence to come out to the three point line. He doesn't likes like to sag. Do he doesn't and, like to and, come out. And Jamal Murray got busy as a result, right? And That's when fair. he com- when he comes out, and, I, and this isn't a Rudy criticism. This is this is this is a uh, uh, this is the playoffs, right? <laughs> you a lot of it is matchup. Like you can be awesome and know what da, 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 and it's like yeah, but it's matchups. Well, I'm watching the the Magic pretty much lead most of the entire game. I don't know what's going to happen by the time you listen to this. Maybe or, uh, Milwaukee will come back and win. But the point is, Milwaukee had the number one defense in the league, and yet they are very susceptible to any team that shoots threes because they give up threes because they made it their hill to die on is we're not giving up anything in the paint. But the game ain't played like that anymore, right, where you can shut down the paint and say, I'm going home with a win. It might work against some teams. It probably should work against Orlando because they're not a great three-point shooting team. But we know that when Milwaukee plays a Miami or uh, a Toronto, or perhaps even a Boston. That's an issue. That is an issue. So for, for Utah and Rudy Gobert specifically, you can be a great defensive You can be defensive player of the year, although that's not what my you can was You can play good enough one-on-one defense against one of the best offensive scoring bigs in the league and still get exploited in that same game. <laughs> yeah. you can you, Again, you can be one of the best defensive teams in the league, and it just doesn't matter today. Because the way you achieve that high defensive rating was playing a specific way against a wide variety of opponents, some of whom can't take advantage of the of your weaknesses, and some of whom can't take advantage of your weaknesses on short notice, meaning in a regular season environment. Playoffs, or we're sitting around, we're watching film, and we're crafting everything to explicitly exploit what you're bad at is a different story. And I think that's what... Denver and Utah is a story about. I want to talk about Murray some more because 
I'm somebody who foolishly, I guess, I thought Denver would win like 60-something games this season. I just thought Murray would take a, a huge leap. Um, enough perimeter defense to, you know, to mitigate what's happening with Jokic inside. And Murray, let's just face it, he's still not a, a great on-ball defender. He's still not great chasing guys off the of screens, which, fine, he's whoa. so dynamic whoa, offensive. Whoa, whoa. What, what evidence of that do you have? It's not like the guy he was guarding went off or anything. <laughs> Look, he's dynamic enough offensively. We don't have to crush him for his shortcomings on defense, but... I was disappointed in the season that he had offensively. I thought he would basically come out and be a Kyrie sort of light. Um, not a guy who comes off of the screen pick and rolls looking to pass necessarily, but he's so dynamic of a scorer, a great enough shooter that the Rudy's of the world, the Milwaukee's of the world, you can't do your little sag back drop defense against a guy who's a threat to pull up from three and actually cash it. And so, you know, I was disappointed by the season he had. I was disappointed just in Denver in general, but yesterday he kind of showed the the theory of Jamal Murray as a player, as a perennial all-star type of cat who I think the, the, the powers that be in Denver kind of think that he is or he's, or are hoping that he's going to be. Remember how quick they gave him that extension was like, yeah, take it. Take that max extension now. You know, cause th- that's how much they think of the guy. I think last night or yesterday, excuse me, Monday was an indication of like, man, maybe he can be this just dynamic on ball force for Denver in the future. I mean, I think the, the proof of that is not a playoff game though. Like when, when you, that is your role. That's one of them no days off roles. Mm. Then you got to do it every day in the regular yep. season. Otherwise, you're basically a glorified Robert Ori. <laughs> oh, he comes up big and okay, that's cool. But like part you, of yes, this, you have to be doing this every day. You have to get me to my 62 wins. You got to get yeah, you, me to my one seed in the West if you are that type of player. Exactly. Particularly when we say you ain't got to do all this other stuff. You're not locking anybody down. You're not mm-hmm. you're not doing the Luca with uh, 19 assists in a game and stuff like that. You're not doing that. Like you are a bucket getter, so you don't get to have days off. You don't get to have two or two, 13 days and all that. You got to do that every game. And for me, I look at Jamal Murray and I like him, man. He's a great player. You know, he's a, he, he, he's a, like you said, a great shooter, and he gets hot, he gets going. But when I that was why I cringe a little bit at giving him max because I'm like. If you're honest with yourself, is Jamal Murray an all-star? Is he an all-star caliber player? When you look at the Western Conference, right, at his position, right, let's just call them perimeters, right, wings, wings and guards, right? Yeah, like you, you go, like, you go through, I mean, like, if you're just, if we're being the honest. Games, the steps. Exactly. Like, I, I like Jamal Murray, but here, here we go. I'm just going to go through the list, right? We got uh, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, right? Uh, we've got Harden, Westbrook. We've got Chris Paul. Uh, we've got Donovan Mitchell. We've got, uh, Luca. We've got Damian Lillard. Hell, we got CJ McCollum. We got John Morant coming up in Memphis. We got Devin Booker in Phoenix. We've got, uh, let's see. Oh, Steph and Clay Thompson. Like, I just named a bunch of dudes, yeah. many of whom did not make the All-Star game. <laughs> yeah, that's a murderer's role. Right? And so, like, now I'm talking about him with D'Angelo Russell, with, shit, Buddy Heald, mm, right? No, that, that can't be. 
right? Like, I mean, this is this is the, but that's that's his company. That's the level he played up to this season. Shea Gil, Shea Gilgis Alexander. Mm. Like, and again, I like those players too. That's not a knock. But what I'm trying to illustrate to everybody is say, if you say Max, there's got to be an All Star game in there, snuck in, right? You can't be so far outside the All Star picture because I just ran through. Like you said, a murderer's row of guys who are guards uh, in this in this conference. In this conference, now we're not even talking about like adding guys in the East. Just in the West, he's already behind the eight ball there. So, and maybe they don't need him to be an all star. That's the beauty of it. They've got between Jokic and then having a deep, balanced roster, Detroit two thousand four style. Maybe they don't need him to be that great, but. If I'm paying him that much, like... I mean, yeah, if you're paying him that much, the salary cap being a real thing that exists, he kind of needs to be that, though. If if ultimately your goal is to win a championship, right? And, you know, we can we can talk about how exciting it is for what's happening with Michael Porter Jr. Maybe he'll be mitigating that in the future, right? Um, Sort of carrying the burden of being dynamic scorers, uh, for the team offensively, uh, maybe that will be the case in the future. And he doesn't need to, and he, you know, like you said, he doesn't need to be Dame Westbrook and OKC or Harden or or any of that stuff. Um, but the theory right now for them to win is that he kind of has to. He has to be the primary, you know, perimeter scorer for this team. And you know, I, I think Game One was a, was a nice indication of that. But yeah, but we we need to talk question. about them. Okay. Yes, real, go ahead. Real, real question: How good is he if Jokic isn't on that team? If they had a regular center. Oh. Like, let's say Rudy Gobert. Great center mm. for what he does, but not passing and not, nah, like, doing the thing. He's, How he's, good not, is he's not as dangerous. He's not as dangerous because when him and Jokic are doing that two-man game, the, like, little dribble handoff, little stuff, and Jokic is basically, like, pointing them which direction to dart out to so he can get the wide-open shot because two people can't get around him. Um... There's literally there's probably nobody else in the NBA who could do that for you, <laughs> and there's right. a, his teammate is getting him those kind of looks consistently on a game to game basis. So yeah, there's something to what you just said. Yeah, I mean that's just, that's, that's just my thing. When you say max, like I'm gonna max him out. No, no. <laughs> but they did it with no hesitation. The, 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 it was like the first day he was available for. It. It's like here, take it. Um, which I just thought was interesting because it's like, you know, he could play out and you still give it to him at the end of the season. I know this stuff with like trickeration of other teams trying to hand him a poison pill contract or blah, 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 blah. It's not even that. It's not even that because for him, it it wouldn't wouldn't really work out like that. That usually happens to guys who are second round guys because of the Gilbert Arenas provision. But the bigger thing, what people talk about, and I'm still kind of 50-50. Some days I'm like, yeah, that shit is real. Some days I'm like, give me a break. The morale? the, yeah, like the, the y'all didn't even believe in me. Like, okay. there are a lot of people who say that Gordon Hayward left Utah, not because like there was a better situation or anything, but because it was like that whole time he was salty. He was salty that they told him go out and get one, and he got one from Charlotte, and then they matched it. Like that never sat well <laughs> with them. Same thing with with Kawhi Leonard when when the Spurs told him, "Look, you're absolutely a max player, but we're trying to get some other shit done next summer." And we need to retain the flexibility. I believe that's the, the summer they got Lamarcus mm-hmm. Aldridge. So they waited until after he but hit the, Yeah, because they had his bird rights and all yeah. that. Yeah. So they, they didn't, it wasn't a situation where they had to match someone else's deal, but they made him wait. 
that apparently did not sit well with uh, Kawhi Leonard in his camp. So there are days where I'm like, yeah, this shit is real. And then there's, I'm like, give me a fucking break. If you're, if you're on a great team and this shit is working, like if you <laughs> yeah. got the max now, yeah. Don't, don't cry about your, <laughs> your $150 million contract. Yeah. Man, give me a break. I love my high student loan payment, said no one ever. Check if refinancing with Ernest could help you lower your monthly payments. Checking takes just two minutes. It's fast and easy. To start, you complete a few questions online. It only takes two minutes. Then you get a personalized rate estimate without affecting your credit score. Plus, there's no origination fee or any other fees. And the internet loves Ernest's customer service. They're rated 9.4 out of 10 on Trustpilot. And now you can get $100 cash bonus when you refinance a student loan with Ernest.com slash NBA show. Once again, you get $100 cash bonus when you refi your student loan at Ernest.com slash NBA show. It's not available in all states. So visit Ernest.com slash NBA show for more details. Terms and conditions apply. Earnest Student Loan Refinance Loans are made by Earnest Operations, LLC, NMLS, number 1204917, California Financing Law License Number, 6054788, San Francisco, California. Lastly on this, because I do want to move on to um, a subject that's near and dear to your heart, the Alvin Gentry stuff. But first, I just want to talk about like Denver's defense, like it, can it? Like, is there anything that they could do to fix this? I get that Gary Harris is going to, he's a huge part of what they do on the perimeter, but it was, it was pretty freaking terrible, man. Like, is there any fixes whatsoever? And again, Donovan Mitchell has a career night, but he was just ruthless, 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 just straight up. Couldn't speed him up. Couldn't get him to feel uncomfortable. He was in complete command of everything that he wanted to do. Um, and it would just it just looks so freaking easy. Is there anything this team could do to, to stop being a sieve? You know, the funny thing was is this was a team that at one point in the last couple of years had actually become an elite defensive team. I think it was last yeah. year. They, they, yeah, they yeah, yeah, I remember that. To be an elite Their offensive rating, would, they were top 10, top five at times. Yeah, yeah, they had a huge turnaround, yep. But that was regular right. season, and- as we know. Well, that's, there's that, but also I, I remember talking to, to Mike Malone and I said, how does a team like you guys have been historically in your tenure, not good defensively, uh, y'all didn't add a Kevin Garnett in the offseason, y'all didn't uh, go out and get Tom Thibodeau or Jeff Pizdelic or like one of these defensive gurus to your staff, uh, you know, there was no changes basically in personnel, how do you make that jump? And he said, we had a, like a, an understanding because we had missed the playoffs a year before by one game, they lost the last game, and they realized, man, if we want to take that leap, if we want to be one of the best teams in the conference, we've got to all rededicate ourselves and recommit ourselves on this end. And they did that. And then they came back this year, and I guess the dedication was not quite there. I mean, they were still above average, but clearly not what they were a year before. Now, the other thing is, they used to, I mean, they had some nice depth. When you talk about Malik Beasley and some of these other guys, they got rid of all of that. Um, they traded all those guys away. Mm. And I, you know, part of it is what we talked about earlier with the Clippers, like the headache of of you know. figuring out playing time for all these yeah. guys and guys that are coming up on deals. That especially that yeah. exacerbates everything. When somebody's coming up on a deal and it's just like, whoa, you're screwing around with my playing time. Right. So yeah. So 
So, so that that's part of it. But you know, another part of that, I think, like if you're asking me what they can do better, they can play better defense. How about that? And you know, like they can actually commit to that, uh, which didn't seem like there's a whole lot of commitment. And then the other thing, also, you got to keep in mind is, all right, so now, now we're giving like minutes to guys like PJ Dozier and Michael <laughs> Porter, and again, play. I like them. But this is their first time at the rodeo, and they're not like necessarily yeah. the, the greatest defensive players in the world. So it, it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, like this is a growing; these are going to be growing pains that they're going to have to deal with. Did it mean cut out? I, did I cut out? Yeah, I what, think you cut out for a second. I, growing pains. What, what, yeah, growing pains that they're going to have to deal with is what I said. Growing pains okay. that they're going to have to deal with. Okay, um, and moving on, the New Orleans Pelicans, they moved on from Alvin Gentry. Um, I talked about it on the Basket Buds a few days ago. Um, I don't know that Gentry necessarily deserved to be fired, um, but in this business, deserve kind of doesn't really matter, you know? Um, if that's what they felt like they wanted to do, obviously... The Zion, they dealt with a lot of injuries this year. Um, a lot of things that kind of aren't always up up to you. They're not in your control, although some snarky people might say New Orleans as an organization through the past years have a track record of dealing with injuries, and that might be a New Orleans type of thing. But, um, you know, they got rid of Alvin Gentry. I don't know what type of coach they're, they're looking to bring in. Maybe you could speak to that, but I know you had some thoughts about the dismissal of, of Gentry. Yeah, I, I don't think, you know, what you described right there, I don't think is accurate. Like, what's fair isn't necessarily a thing. So, so what I mean by that is, like, Fred Hoiberg got fired in Chicago because the guys were not listening to him. And you could say, but his X's and O's are like, what do you want to do? It's great. I said, but yeah, but if they don't listen to you, it doesn't matter, right? It's, quote, unquote, not your fault, but part of your job is to make them listen to you. So if you're failing in that part of your job, too bad, you're gone. In the case of Alvin Gentry, it's not a case of guys not executing. It's a guy, a case of guys not being not available. Even trying. Or available. Well, I mean, in the a- bubble, avail- the effort level was okay, terrible. So, but, but are we going to fire a guy for eight games? Mm. For a bad eight-game stretch? That's what we're doing now? David Griffin got up in his press conference and said it has absolutely nothing to do with the bubble. Even if we had done well, we probably would have made the same decision. So I'm thinking like, okay. Let's take a look, right? So we got to start when we got to start with what happened before Griff got there ain't on Alvin. There were a lot of injuries. The organization was a shit show. He was the only thing that kept that thing together when that Anthony Davis thing hit the fan. But the person making the decision, David Griffin, was not there for that. So I'm guessing he's not judging him off of that. He's judging him off of what's happened here. So what's happened? What's happened is... We had a four-month layoff that robs people of something very special, which is context. Context. What do you mean by that? I mean, this Phoenix Suns way 8-0 in the bubble, and they expected, like, a red carpet and their dick to get sucked. Because they, they, they went 8-0. Like, you had a great bubble. You beat real teams and before they sat people. I'm going to give them every credit. A lot of people try to make it seem like you were sitting teams that were sitting guys. Yes, towards the end. But in the beginning, they beat real teams. They had a tough schedule. They played. They outworked them. But you don't get to throw away 60 games. 
Because, but I went well in the last <laughs> eight. I don't care. You sixty so games you, of playing so, like so shit. So you think? So you think what's happening in New Orleans is the inverse of that? Yes, because this is a team. First of all, brought back four incumbent players. I want to say, right? You're talking about Drew Holiday. Okay, rotation guy, all star, all defensive team. Okay, cool. Each one more eh, rotation guy. Uh huh. Kenrich Williams, Frank Jackson. So clearly, we're not carrying over any sort of identity from last year. Yeah, there's no continuity for real. And we especially in, when you consider how AD-centric that team was. So yes. this is a completely new team. Brought in a completely new team. Well, surely we brought in a bunch of savvy vets who've been around and going to get us to this program winning. Well, yeah, we got two of them. Derek Favors, who started the year hurt and overweight. And J.J. Reddick. All right, what about the other guys? We got Brandon Ingram, who's never been in the playoffs, never been part of a winning situation. We got Lonzo Ball, who's never been in the playoffs, never been part of a winning situation. We got uh, uh, Josh Hart, who's never been in the playoffs, never been part of a winning situation. We've got Zion Williamson, who's a rookie. Nikhil Alexander Williams is a rookie. We got uh, Jackson Hayes, who's a rookie. So it's like, I just named most of their rotation. It's all new guys, and most of them have, have never been on a playoff team. And a lot of those guys started the year hurt. So there's, there's the the Pelicans start the year 14th ahead of only the, the awful Warriors, right? And people are saying, Alvin Gentry should be fired. Like, for what? For not keeping everybody healthy? All these new people healthy? <laughs> so now they start winning games. This is before Zion comes back. They start winning games and building momentum, and they're moving into the playoff picture. And I know this because I hosted the jump, and I did a whole monologue on how here come the Pelicans, and Zion's not even back yet. Zion comes back January 25th. And they get better, and he's getting better, and he's on a minutes restriction, and the restrictions start loosening, and they're winning. And and by the time we hit early March, your Pelicans are three and a half games back of the playoff spot that seemed light years away at one point. With all the momentum, with Zion getting in better shape every day, with everything coming together, Brandon Ingram is an all-star, maybe the most improved player. Lonzo Ball is playing with the best confidence he's ever had. Things are happening. And then we shut down for four months. And then we come back. And now all these young players have never been a part of any sort of winning habit. They got to relearn everything that they learned because a lot of that is gone. And one of your best players is Ion Williamson. He's not even here. He's got to go away and he comes back and he's now he's fat. He's out of shape and hasn't played any basketball. And we plop him into the seeding games on a minute restriction. And not only that, but also in these certain kind of bursts. Am I arguing that that's unfair? No, that's what Aaron Nelson and his staff declared this is the best way to handle it. I trust them. If I were the coach or if I was a GM, I would listen to them. I'd play them the same way. But then you can't hold that against Alvin Gentry. Like, mm. it's his fault that his guy's out of shape. Like, it's his fault. Like, these kids went away for four months and didn't, and didn't retain anything. That's not fair. He had an awful eight games. No one here is going to defend how New Orleans played in those eight games. But if you're telling me that that decision was made off of the context of the whole year, not those eight games, I'm sorry. I just don't believe you. See, honestly, I mean, what I hear, though, from what you're saying is, is part of it is just a victim of human nature. Um, the, the idea of expectations, expectations, the team had expectations, whether those expectations were ever truly realistic, because you got to remember 
before the season started, it was basically like, oh, this is a playoff team. And then as they started making their run and, 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 and you know, approaching AFC level, oh, man, this team's going to give the Lakers some run now. I just think the expectation gap between what people thought and saw for this team wrongly, that's, the, that's my problem with expectations, so, whether it be organizationally or us in the right. media. Like, this idea that just because we were wrong about the team means that the team didn't do what they were ultimately supposed to do anyway. Like that these, that these outcomes weren't like essentially in line with what should have happened anyway. But I think what you're talking about is expectation. People expected stuff from them. This is what I would say. First of all, what people outside the organization expect is should always be irrelevant to what internally you expect as an organization. That's one. And two, uh, to say we didn't meet expectations, so something has to happen. Forgive me for saying this. It's a dumb way to run a team. If we're going to eliminate all <laughs> nuance and context under which why we didn't reach expectations, was it because of a, a failure from our coaching staff? Right? If if we're going to say, no, well, I don't care. Something happens. We've got to do something. It's the NBA, NBA guidebook. Fire the coach is what it says. Then that's a dumb way to run a team. That's a dumb way to run a team. <laughs> You, are you calling our guy Griff dumb? I'm not calling anybody dumb. I'm saying if the decision is made because expectations weren't met and you feel the need to do something, that there has to be some But isn't that, isn't that what it feels like, though? Because all of the That's things what, that you just outlined about the circumstances, about the realities mm-hmm. of the team, and, like, this crazy four-month layoff and all of the injuries and, you know... Uh, respecting Zion's sort of health protocols and all of that, like that's real stuff that happened. It like if, if you were to take into account the context of the outcomes that New Orleans achieved, then th- all I'm left with is expectations. You know, and the sad part is, was is what's going to happen is whoever's going to be the next coach going to come in. That roster is healthy. They've got an All Star in in uh, Ingram. Zion's going to be in better health and better shape. They're going to get a full camp. They're going to go, and, and everyone's going to be like, oh my God, it's so night and day. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. It's just, you, you, you sent one man into a fight with his hand tied behind his back and blindfolded. And then we're surprised he got punched in the mouth, like at the end. And then you send the other guy in with a sword and a shield and say, oh, he's such a brave man. Look at him fight out there so much better than the last guy we had ridiculous it's ridiculous and i call it out in new orleans and i call it out wherever it happens when when it's the same thing for me when when earl watson who who i don't think is as good of a coach as alvin gentry who didn't have the history with his front office that alvin gentry has with his right but earl watson got fired two games into a season or four games into a season or whatever and i said y'all spent the whole summer did free agency plans drafted people and now, like, this is this is the time, like, oh, we don't believe in him. Right? This is where it hit. The lack of belief happened. Yeah. it's it, There's a way to do these things. And I just don't think that every team does it the right way. I mean, some teams do. But in this case, I don't think New Orleans did it the right way. Yeah. I, you know, I, again, I, we're not in there every single day. That's one thing I'll say, like, as far as the front office, ownership or whatever, they're there every day. They're more intimate with the goings-on of the teams as far as the guys and whatever. And maybe they, what they've seen up close, they said, we want to do something different. That's just me. 
I, I, I absolutely feel you. And a lot, 90% of the time, I have that feeling. It's like, I don't know what's happening in there. And I know because I've been on the other side, there's stuff that people just don't know. I know we traded for Shaq. People think it's because we decided that run and gun wasn't going to work. No, it had a lot more to do with some contract stuff than it had to do with our desire for Shaq at the time. I get it. But also, I tend to have a pretty good intuition about these things. When the Sun mm. signed Isaiah Thomas, despite having Eric Bledsoe and Goran Dragic, they told me everything was fine. And I said, you know what I mean? Maybe you don't know. There's some stuff that, that's happening behind the scenes that you just don't know. You're not privy to. And then at the end of it, it's like, nope, I was right all along. Uh, like there, there are all of these situations that pop up across the league where I look at it like, I don't know about this. But people say, no, 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 there's so much more happening behind the scenes. Is that maybe you're right? That's true. And then time goes by and like, no, it pretty much exactly what is what I thought it was. When you've been in it, you just have an intuition for these things, whether they're, they're real or not. Now, there might be some scandal that comes out that involves Alvin Gentry. I doubt it. I know him as a man, not only as a coach, but as a man. I don't think there's a scandal there. But if there is, I'll be happy to say I was wrong. But if all it was was lack of meeting expectations, then I just, I can't get with that. Well, there you have it. I want to thank our guest, Amin El Hassan, for coming on. It's been way too long since you've been back. Um, of course, make sure you're subscribed, rate, leave reviews for the Athletic NBA show. Make sure you're listening to Tampering, The Buds, Point of Contention, and Nerder. Uh, make sure you're becoming a, a member. Uh, is that what we call subscriber of The Athletic? Excuse me. It's not a cult. It's just a media company. Yeah. Make sure you become a subscriber of The Athletic. I mean, tell the people where to find you, man. You got like 30 jobs these days, brother. Yeah, yeah, and 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 still looking for more. If anyone's out there who wants to hire me, uh, okay. So you can find me on ESPN. I do hoop streams once a week. That's our digital streaming show with Cassidy Hubbard and Kendrick Perkins. You can find me on the Jump periodically. You know, schedule's kind of up in the air with that. You can find me on Sirius XM NBA Radio with me and Zach Harper and Jason Jackson on some combination thereof. You can find me on Sirius XM Mad Dog Sports Radio Friday nights with with Zach Harper. And last but not least, you can find me on two podcasts, one of which is Cinephobe, a movie where, I mean, the podcast where Zach Harper and I review poorly rated movies and decide whether they were accurately rated or not. And Black Opinions Matter. That's the podcast that I do with Waz and Black Trey and uh, and a couple other recurring characters. And that is a uh, culture and entertainment through a black person's lens. I strongly suggest you guys give a listen to the episode we did with Kenny Stills and Irv Roland. Kenny Stills, the NFL wide receiver. Irv Roland, uh, former longtime NBA assistant coach. They went to Louisville. They protested outside of the house of Daniel Cameron, the Kentucky Attorney General, about the death of Breonna Taylor, the murder of Breonna Taylor, and they were arrested. And they were arrested in a very unconstitutional way. Their rights were not read to them. They were not Mirandized. Uh, they were held for hours without even being told what they were being charged with. Uh, they were not. They did not receive their phone call for hours. They not weren't even put into a cell. They were shackled, chain gang style, in a room in the basement of the jailhouse. It's a fascinating story. Please give it a listen, a like, a download, a share, all that good stuff wherever you get your podcasts. All right, well, there you have it. Um, make sure you're checking us out. Our coverage for the playoffs is going to be, we're going to be on top of everything. You know, The Athletic has some of the best coverage 
of the NBA and all of media. No offense to Amin, even though he's an ESPN cat. <laughs> but <laughs> but for my guy, Amin Hassan and Jade Hoy on the wheels of steel. Um, we'll see you guys next week. David will be back. We're out of here. <laughs>